Hello and welcome to the Hockey Hurts Podcast for January 17th of 2020. I'm Ryan Wilson, Penguins writer for HockeyBuzz.com. I'm Cameron Walsh from HockeyHeads.com. Well, no shortage of topics this week. Uh, we got coaches fired, we got GMs fired, we have significant injury to one of the, probably the front runner for the Norris Trophy. Uh, Nicholas Backstrom negotiated his own contract and did a lot better than Drew Doughty did. Um, and a certain player came back for the Penguins and didn't ruin the team chemistry. Sidney Crosby, look at that. Even though the team was 18-6-4 without him. He, uh, ah, they won on one with him. They won on one with him. Yeah, that's true. The winning percentage isn't as good. Uh, I'm sure there's some pittsburgh media people that uh, if they go one and three uh will have some juicy stories for us on uh, how sid should have uh do they really need him and uh, set out the whole season yeah get get healthy but uh you know having him back's fun he's already done a lot of cool things uh yep in his return even a slap shot goal which is uh not the norm for him but yeah. We're going to talk to his old boss, or not talk to, talk about. I don't think Ray Shero. You've got Ray Shero? Yeah. I don't You've think got Shero on the line? Jesus, I don't think he would uh, want to talk to me. But uh, he did write the uh, the intro to the Hockey Prospectus book I was published in. So, <laughs> you know, there's that. Uh, so Ray Shero got canned, and it was kind of sudden. I don't think there was really rumblings of it happening mid-season like that devils clearly not in a good spot uh, kind of rebuilding again and it, cheryl's five years into this uh he which he started with a rebuild i i can see why the owners are frustrated but i can also i don't think he did all that bad of a job it's just when you're dealt the the cards that he was dealt with when he first started the gig you, you, you can't really make any mistakes that can potentially set your rebuild back. And, you know, he, he did have some missteps and it cost him his job. Well, it's, it's not just that. It's You have a look at some of the coaching firings this year as well. Goaltending. You know, Corey Schneider's hips decided to fall apart on him. And I know that he was at the tail end of his career, but... If you can't get regulation stops, then you're pretty well screwed. And I know everyone says tank for the draft so you get like a top three draft pick. But it really comes down to who's in the draft in regards to whether it's worth doing. And I don't think he's managed to collect any generational talents in the draft. They're going to be good players, but they're not franchise changing players that they've picked up. And well, that's no that's no one's fault. That's just the reality of your drafting 18-year-olds. And, and that's not a dig at uh, Heeshear or... No, Hughes. no, no. They're, look, they're not, they're not Novichkin, they're not a Crosby, they're not a Malkin, they're not a McDavid. Like, Stamkos. Yeah, they are, well, there you go, five franchise-changing players that went at number one. I mean, you have a look at Florida. They took Ekblad at number one. And I know that way back we had Todd Cordell on saying... He's going to be a you know a good NHL defenseman, but he's not a not a franchise changing player. And Florida struggled with some of those things. So you know, I you've said this on the podcast before. Shiro was really lucky. He had the the, the best cheat code in hockey, and I think he's very very good at fiddling around the edges with teams. I think that's something that he is actually very good at. He, he makes some missteps but when you've got Crosby and Malkin. On your roster, you can make those kind of mistakes. And like you said, he had zero wiggle room in New Jersey. Yeah, and I I don't think they quite did the Buffalo thing either, though, because they kind of won a draft lottery that wasn't really, you know, they, like, beat the odds kind of thing. Yeah, true. So That's they true. weren't really tanking, but um, when I look at the roster he, he inherited – it's really bad. It was awful. Like, and not like great draft picks and not great prospects either. Like he really did start from nothing. Um, some of the veterans on this team were Camilleri, Ryan Clough, not Tom Sestito, oh, wow. Tim Sestito. 
the, <laughs> the tail end of both Patrick Eliage and Scott Gomez. Um, Henrique and Zajac were his younger. Um, I'm sorry. Henrique was 24. Zubris was 36. Zajac, 29. Steve Bernier, Steve Gianta, Martin Havlat. I can't believe his body was functioning. I um, love Headlight as a player. He was very he good. To but he just <laughs> Tuomo Rutu, Michael Ryder, Jordan Tutu. I mean, that's tough. There's not yeah. much there. And he nah. was left at just a complete shit show by Lou Lamarillo, who bailed on his just terrible work and went to the Leafs. And, you know, the, the year before Shero took over. You know, you can guess that this team wasn't that good, but they only got the thirtieth pick because of the Kovalchuk punishment. Oh, that's right. So even though they were bad, they didn't even get like the good picks. So I, I want to be careful here. I, I don't want to be an apologist for Ray Shero because he obviously he's not a great GM by any stretch. I just think this highlights how hard the job can be when you're missing a number one center, a number one defenseman, and, um, you know, Schneider at the time, a number one goalie, but one of Shero's worst mistakes was keeping him because they were going I... through a rebuild. What do you need a great goalie for? And then by the time and they're that... good, he broke. Yeah. And that's what you get when you're facing 35 high quality shots a game. <laughs> um, yeah, right. I That's, it's, it is, that's the conundrum with, Every general manager is, there are probably 15 goalies every year that have outstanding years for their, like, their career. And if you get him at the right time, when your team is, you know, peaking in the right direction, they can, look, look at Bennington, for example, with, say, look, there was more to St. Louis than just Bennington. Yeah, the coaching change, but honest, let's be honest, save percentage, you know, yeah, this is going to be tied to a, a topic that we're going to talk about pretty soon. Yeah. Here. <laughs> so y- you're right. He couldn't afford to make any mistakes, and keeping keeping him or keeping Schneider around kind of threw out their ability to be bad. And I have a feeling one of the reasons he got the job is he probably said to the ownership, "We don't have to be terrible to s- turn this around. We're going to have a goalie that can." you know, win us games that we shouldn't win and Jersey being tight with money. That's just the way they've been all the way through their, um, through the franchises. They've always struggled to produce money, to make money. That's got to be a, an appealing thing for an owner. And they've probably not seen an increase in their attendance. It's probably gone backwards. You're going to have to get rid of the guy that's, that's dealing with the on ice product. Yeah. And, like you said with the the, um, the goaltending thing earlier, I mean that that is on him though. That's absolutely his, yep. That's that's kind of his job. That's uh, his decision. It, it's not the coach's fault. The goalies don't make saves. It's the GM's. It's not the GM's fault. They don't make saves. It's the GM's <laughs> fault for not <laughs> getting a little more creative and finding somebody who will. Um, yeah, obviously he had some good moments as as the GM there. Uh, Taylor Hall one for one goes down is like a, it's a legendary trade. He does pretty well in those. And you know, they got a playoff year when they really shouldn't have had one. They got an MVP as well. So and it's tough because his he was still rebuilding and that trade probably just came across his desk like holy shit. Uh yeah, I guess so. Yep, we'll do that. Um but it also probably propped up expectations past where they should be with a player like that. They weren't there yet, and they made the playoffs. So now it's like, well, you got to make them again. And it's like, well, your team's not really that good. That was just kind of a uh, flash-in-the-pan kind of nice story for a year. Um, and then he went in, did the P.K. Subban thing. I really don't fault him for that. It's not like cap space is a problem. No, But that true. hasn't worked. But why didn't that work? Well, I have a, a hunch that, well, Subban might be a lot worse than I think right now. There's a lot of evidence pointing to he's really declining. 
Yep. But I'll say this. What was Cheryl's problem at the tail end of his um, run in Pittsburgh was his reluctance to move on from his head coach. Him keeping John Hines for half the year this year tanked their tanked their year. So it's it's a feature, not a bug, that he holds on to coaches too long. His loyalty uh, speaks to him being a good person, probably, but it does not speak well to the cutthroat environment of you know the necessities of being a, an NHL GM. Yeah, that's a and, good point. You know that ruined this year, and. You know, he's he's old school, his dad, obviously, two-time cup winner for the Flyers. Uh, he himself, a cup winner in Pittsburgh. He has Tom Fitzgerald next to him uh, for a long time, who's now the interim GM. He he wants things done old school-ish in the sense he wants a tight circle. Well, the owners were pretty gung-ho about, you know, we're widening this, this circle of power and Tyler Dello and Matt Cain are going to be a part of it. And I don't think he liked giving up some of those decision-making powers to an extent. So they, they said it was both parties wanting to go. And, you know, I kind of don't really challenge that too much because I could see Shero being upset that, hey, why do I got to like share my duties with the analytic guys? I do not think it's a case of the analytic guys, like, going behind his back and stabbing him <laughs> got to get rid of this guy i think the owners are just like no we're going to use all our resources and cheryl's like i'm not very comfortable doing that okay well the team's in a rebuild again you had your chance see ya well it's it you think about it in regards to employment that's a really big shift in regards to your employment environment so i can understand why cheryl was probably not particularly happy with it also means that whoever comes in next, if it's not going to be Fitzgerald, um, needs to be aware that those two guys are hanging around and you're going to want to at least pretend at least that you're into the numbers. I don't think there's an opportunity to pretend anymore. I think it needs to be clear. I mean, their action was pretty obvious. Well, you've got to show that you actually, you've got to show you actually understand it as well as a general manager. Like, it's one thing to get the numbers given to you and to have these guys give you suggestions, but if you don't understand what they're actually trying to get you to understand, then you're pretty well effed now, I think, in the NHL. And I think that's a good thing. It might mean we move away from from some of these dinosaurish thought processes of what actually makes a team. I, I think analytics makes the game faster. I think it makes it more high-skilled, which means it's better to watch. That's why I want it to shift in that direction, just to make that clear. So Fitzgerald is interim, and they haven't really given him the gig, so we'll we'll see um, where the GM search goes from there. I would imagine, you know, probably get somebody open and willing to work with analytics, and I think that's really the only choice to make in 2020. I think if you're not doing it that way and not, um, holistically doing the scouting, old school scouting stuff with new age video and analytics. I, I like you're you're a step behind. Yep. So. You've got to have. You've still got to have the old school eye test thing. That that's. I'm not advocating to get rid of that. But there's there's more you can do, and you should be doing it. So that'll be interesting to see uh, how that shakes out. Another firing, Gerard Gallant of the Vegas Golden Knights. And this one surprised me even more than the Cheryl one, to be quite honest. Um, the Golden Knights are freaking good. They are. They right, before, like before top we get, three. Before we get too deep into this, we've gone Babcock, Peters, Hines, Montgomery, DeBoer, LaViolette, Gallant. Now, I say DeBoer was goaltending. I say Hines was partially goaltending, LaViolette goaltending, and Gallant definitely goaltending. So there's a theme here because Vegas, like you said, Vegas are the best out of all of those teams that are there. They are a quality team. One thing changed. Fleury's dad died. You, you, is that when his yep, play went the split. down? 
Yep, right after that. And the same thing happened to Fleury in Pittsburgh when his kids got sick in the playoff front. Um, and then it exacerbated like playoff front after playoff front. But he doesn't deal with life change at all. The numbers bear it out. Yeah. He was I having mean... a really he was having a really, really good year. They were like leading the division by a mile and his numbers were like nine twenties. And he's posting like sub nine hundreds ever since. Yeah, that's certainly the human element. Um, and if you you've looked at the, because I, I have not um, done a, I haven't done a split like that. But it, I, obviously, I believe what you've seen. Yeah, nine oh six is his overall save percentage this year. Uh, it was not bad earlier in the year. So there, I mean, that's just the human element of it. I know we don't talk a lot about intangibles on the show because I think. I think this is kind of uh, evidence of why we don't dive deep because it did manifest itself in the numbers. Yeah. The numbers will bear it out. You've just got to understand what human element was it that made the numbers shift. Um, and, and that every, every obviously sucks. Um, yeah. It's a crummy thing. Um, his, his goalie partner, Matt Murray, dealt with that himself. Uh, when those two were in Pittsburgh, and now um, he's unfortunately on the wrong side of it this year. But, you know, that said, him and Subban haven't been good enough, and it cost uh, Goliath. A good coach's job. job. Yep. It's uh, as, as savage as it is to say, given what the hypothesis is here. It's That's what happened. I don't think the coaching was really that bad. Nope. And, you know, Peter DeBoer has done well in Jersey and in San Jose. So it's not, I don't think they got a bad coach. It just kind I just of don't crummy. know if he's the right coach. It's kind of crummy for, like, how many of these Coach of the Years get canned shortly after they win it. So maybe maybe Mike Sullivan should stay away from winning it if you're a Penguins well, he fan. Just, he, just needs, he just needs one of his two goalies to, to stay at 917. You know, all situations. That's that's basically what he needs. Um, well, likely to be not Jerry, not that, Murray, but yeah, yeah. And, and it, it, this like this shows you how fickle that position is. And I'll steal a line from from Jeff Merrick: "Show me a good guy, and I'll show you a good coach. Show you a bad guy, and I'll show you a bad coach." It literally feels like that's how it works in in the NHL, and it is amazing how many good seasons ride high or get tanked on one position considering the amount of money that is paid out everywhere else on the ice. <laughs> it's one position that can totally destroy it. Yeah. I'm looking right now. Vegas at 5-on-5 five five is 25th ranked at 9-11 or 9-12, which is 9-21-ish is usually the average, so that's well below. Um even their shooting percentage. So this is really a PDO firing. Um, they're a bottom five PDO team right now. So are the Devils. So are the Sharks. So the interesting thing with that PDO thing is it would be interesting to see the split of the PDO in regards to is it 50-50 shooting and save percentage or is it like... They're eighth worst in shooting. They're actually... Right. Uh, they're underperforming shooting, which... Should regress given the talent, but it it would be interesting to see whether the watching. So this is an eye testing. Watching some Vegas games, it has looked like as the year has gone on, they are not getting as high quality chances as they were earlier in the year and obviously the previous two years. So. Yeah, you not, and I, I don't both have like, the split in front of me for, for yeah, that. Yeah, I'm not, not expecting you to. Yeah, it's literally an eye testing, so I could be really wrong. So you, you you sit there with it and think to yourself, did the general manager get there and go, I don't like the way the years trended because we've moved away from what we were? Is Gallant not getting through to the players anymore? We've got to get on top of this now. Like, it was just such a... It felt like such a knee-jerk reaction. There is obviously something they're seeing in their numbers that they hated, not just disliked, but absolutely hated because it came out of nowhere. That was one of the weirder firings. Um, 
and you would never see his name on any of the on the hot seat list. In fact, you'd probably, would you? see, him, you'd probably see him on the opposite of that. Yeah. Well, there. You know, as soon as he became available, you start to hear rumors about like Bednar in um, in in Colorado. Like, oh, geez, Glantz out there, he'd be a good coach for for the Avalanche and stuff like that. And it's like, Bednar's not doing a bad job. Every team goes through peaks and troughs through a season. Don't freak out just because Vegas did. Vegas, to your point, and I don't have the split, is actually second overall in high danger there you go. attempts That's... per 60. Yep. So, so they're a little unlucky. The eye test on it. They're, yeah. they're, they're a little unlucky right now. A little, I mean a lot. They're earning the high danger chances. They have shooting talent on that team. It's just not happening right now. And they're not getting so, saves. So, so I don't know with that... What, I don't know what you do with the coach. Yeah. Hey, that makes Mark, me... you want to make, make a, a save? few more saves? And that's the thing. I feel like this PDO is driven by the goalie more so than the shooting percentage. If you're going to tell me they're getting the high danger chances, they're, they're going to regress. shooting, though. No, I understand that. But they should regress back if they're getting the high danger chances. You, you can kind of... Yeah, you're right. There's, that's more likely to happen than me believing that Fleury's going to get his shit back together for a season because him as a person just doesn't seem to handle, you know, life-shifting stuff well. It really affects the way he plays. Other players often dive into their game when shit like this happens because it's the one place they feel comfortable. It seems to be the complete reverse for him. He can't seem to focus on the thing that pays him his money. <laughs> And that's fine. That's just a human thing. But they need him to get back to like at least nine seventeen at some point, or they're toast. Well, time will tell. He certainly yeah. is a goalie known for peaks and valleys. Right now is a low. Uh, that means a high could be right around the corner because that's that's how he rolls. It is. Um, so injury. Actually, no, sorry. not Sorry, Dougie, we're not going to you yet. Nicholas Backstrom, being his own agent, doing pretty good for him. Not so sure how that's going to help. Uh, help me? The, the, the cap, well, who cares about that? We'll talk about that too. But um, <laughs> I don't know how it really uh, helps the, the Capitals a ton. I, uh, of course, next year they would still be a contender, but... Past the following year, you got uh, Ovechkin's going to be close to 35. Nicholas Backstrom is going to be 33 in November next year. It's it's a tough... Uh, it's one of those damned if you do, damned if you don't contract situations that we see so often in this league. Um, you know... Are they running with the theory that players at his level just decline slower? He's been really lucky injury-wise. His game doesn't evolve around the fact that he's speedy. Uh, it's more a cerebral game than a physical game. Um, it's a lot of money to be paying a guy, you know, tapering off from his peak. But, you know, I suppose you sort of had to do it. I mean... Yeah, sorta. I mean, I don't think they had to, it, from a hockey standpoint, but from like a a fan, it's still a business standpoint. Like he's a very popular player, obviously. They're still in a cup window, so it's kind of one of those, you know, it's not like the Penguins aren't making deals like that. They they Correct. did the Hornquist deal, not to the extent of a nine point two million, but the Hornquist deal for for his. Uh, mid-tier status, they paid a premium for him, given his age. Oh, yeah. Yep, uh, so it's kind of a similar conceptual thing where you don't want to go chasing that talent. But 9.2 mil, um, that's that's quite a bit. I'm going to try and figure out. That's banking on the cap going up. Of, of course. And considering what happened with the cap for this season, I reckon that's pretty ballsy. Yeah, I'm just going to try and find his cap hit percentage because I know that 9.2 mil is like, oh, damn. 
when he signed his original six point seven million dollar deal, it was a eleven point two eight percent cap hit, and that was pretty much considered a bargain as it um, progressed. He got all his prime years, um, pretty good. It got better stuff. and better, yeah. And so it was eleven point two eight. This one's actually eleven point two nine. The problem is he's thirty three. <laughs> So, yeah, do you really want to throw uh, 11.3% of your cap hit into a theoretically declining asset? It's I don't think there's any theoretics about it. He is declining. It's just a matter of how fast. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. I just, I can't, I can't see him having that fall off a cliff thing. That's all. Like, I... If I was going to pump $9.2 million into an aging asset, he's one that I'm comfortable with, and quite clearly Washington was as well. So um, I'm looking at all his offensive stuff since 07, 08. He had one year in 2013-14 where he's a 1.46 points per 60. Now off the top of my head, that seems like Dale Hunter time frame when they went yeah. all defensive and fucked up. <laughs> They went cry cry. Yeah, so after that it went one nine five, one nine one, two three eight, one nine seven, last year two point two. He's at one six five this year, which is the second lowest of his career other than what the I Hunter think is year. a Dale Hunter year. Yeah. So one six five for that, for him, not good. He's still always been a, a pretty solid defensive player. But there's there's a lot of risk here and there is. There's a lot of risk to letting him walk, too. It's a terrible spot to be in. So, do we... I have a feeling I know the answer to this. We don't know who he's playing with this year, do we? We don't know the players that... Because is, is he still with Ovechkin, or is Kuznetsov getting the Ovechkin minutes? Because I've, I've not watched a Washington game to, to clarify this. Because, um, you know, quality of teammate does matter. Well... I can pretty strongly say that he's certainly getting power play time. Yeah. And that does not uh, manifest with the numbers I just gave, because I gave five-on-five numbers. Yeah. Well, his most common line mates at even strength, 481 minutes with Alex Ovechkin, which is even more than the first goaltender on this list for him. Yeah. Which means... You're right. This could be a concerning decline. John Carlson's the top defender. Tom Wilson, TJ Oshie, Dmitry Orlov are the top people that I see. Yep. Those are the He's... ones you kind of want to play with. Correct. So if you see this again this year, like if he sits at 1.65 again, you kind of go, okay, he hasn't totally flat like dropped off, but you'd want him to be closer to and that And there's still two. value on the power play because he is very good. Oh, absolutely. But 5-on-5 is where most of the game is played, so... And their power play is so fucking good. I know, it's wonderful to watch when you do get to watch it. And he's a huge part of that. He's able to patrol that down-low, off-wing area and make the choices that open up Carlson and Ovechkin. Like, he doesn't force a lot. He reads the play really well. I've always been a big admirer of his and how he runs that side of the power play. Kuznetsov's kind of um, found his way over there more and more as the time has gone on. But, yeah, um, Backstrom's always been a really mint power play guy. And that will still have value, but the even strength stuff for sure. Um, yeah. You can't be paying 9.2 mil for a guy that gets... All power play points. And he's not at the moment. He's still getting, you know, 1.6 for the 5 on 5. But if that starts to drop off, that starts to get tough. Mm -hmm. So, you know, time will tell. But 33, um, adding term and a lot of money, a lot of risk there. And that really could turn sideways. I'm not rooting for it. I happen to uh, really like him as a player. I hope he continues to feed Ovechkin many goals. Cause I'm I'm all I'm all good with uh, Ovechkin beating Gretzky's. Uh... Yeah, you're all in on that chase as well. <laughs> I don't think it's likely, but I'm there for it if it happens. You know, one thing I suppose one thing for Washington that is handy is he hasn't got a full no movement clause. He does the first few. 
Uh, okay, because I've just got here that he's got a 17 no trade list. So I thought that was... First there. three years on Cap Friendly, I'm looking at NMC. And the last Ooh. two years, a modified NTC. That's the seven. And that uh, is a 15-team no-trade list starting July 1, 2023. Right. So he's pretty well made sure he's staying. There's no uh, no Seattle in his future, put it that way. Yeah, he's definitely made sure that's the case. So well, And he did this all on his own. Nice job. And he's getting... So Six million, five million in signing bonuses uh, the next two years. Uh, that should cover a lot of the lockout. I don't like the way you said maybe. There was no maybe in that sentence. <laughs> oh, well, I'm just saying, like he he did a better job than that Dowdy did with yeah. the structure here. Dowdy's his uh, buyout like problem for him. He could easily get bought out. He's uh, like. <laughs> so we'll see we'll see where that goes uh staying staying in the metro poor dougie hamilton that looked pretty bad i actually haven't seen it i don't know if i want to because breaking a fibula or tibia is blah so your buddy jordan Stahl did that missed about half a year um i don't know can he make it back from that for playoffs or probably second round you think so yeah he was, he just was gotta... uh, a legit favorite for the norris yeah you just got to rely on the fact that losing him because it's not next man up you just hope that they can sort of do it by committee and and get by without him they do have a, a strong defensive unit um they're Underlying numbers are really good. Big shocker there. And, <laughs> you know, they're starting to... They're, they're a good team. But that's that's tough. Part of the reason they're a good team is because he's really good. And his work on the power play was great. Uh, surprising enough, Dougie Hamilton really, over the years, hasn't been a big power play guy. Uh, finally got his look in Carolina and was doing a great job with it. So... That should open up some interesting potential trade options. If they want to. Because they don't yeah. have bulk anymore. It's, it's always the risk when you have a plethora of players at a particular position and then you do the right thing and you trade from a position of strength. And then one of those players in that position gets injured. Like any key one at that. It's just like, well, you shouldn't have got rid of him. It's like, well, yeah, we should have. Yeah, Falk is overrated. Maybe not a bad player, but overrated for what people um, perception of him. There's there's no issue there. I, I think yeah. that would be silly. To... I I agree. Who do you who do you trade away? Like with what they need to get back, because they're going to be competing with Toronto for a defenseman from everything that I've, I've read that Toronto are out looking for either a goaltender or a defenseman. So it's not so much just what they need. It's what value have they got that can coax a defenseman from a bottom third team in the league that they're not going to have to overpay for. Well, the overpay part's always an interesting one, isn't it? Yeah. And that's, if I was Carolina, I, I would be all in on the season. Um, but Losing Hamilton really fucking sucks. <laughs> well, funny you bring Toronto up. Carolina, for taking Marlowe, has their first round pick. So they could actually weaponize what Toronto could have used to get a rental with the asset they took from them because Lou Lamarillo had to give Marlowe a third year on that deal. Idiot. So they have two first round picks. Two second-round picks and two third-round picks this year. Jesus Christ. So when you say, what do they got? They got a little bit of draft capital if they want to use it. And Buffalo's draft pick that they've got in that third round will be a high third-rounder because of the way it camel cases through the draft. Rangers is one of them for round two. That might be a little lower purely because of being the second round. Um, 
Shit, okay. I was I was literally looking more in regards to what's on their roster. Yeah. And, and their and their depth chart. But you're right, they have they have non player assets there. Or maybe they just try and ride it out. Uh, I don't I don't know. We'll have to see where that goes. Um I I'm curious what Pittsburgh's gonna do with Justin Schultz. What, they're not going to keep him for the year? They're going to trade him at the deadline? Sort I don't idea. know. I mean, he hasn't really been great when he has played. <laughs> a lot of that is, you know, it's tough to separate the, the what he's doing versus uh, he spent a shitload of time with Jack Johnson last year. So, so th- this is the thing. It's like, do you trade him away and get somebody else in and push Johnson down the lineup once Dumoulin comes back? Or do you keep Schultz, ride him out, and just not play Johnson at all? Which, I, they're not going to do that, right? So, I still think Justin Schultz back from injury is a better level of play than Jack Johnson as what he's currently playing. So, I would rather Johnson push down the lineup to a third pairing and have Schultz in the lineup for the rest of the year and let him walk than the alternative oh, of yeah. trading him away. That's still uh, the likeliest path. I'm just curious with John Marino and, obviously, Chris Letang, eating top four right side minutes, um, what they might do. But uh, although I guess Marino played a little bit with Letang, if Schultz were to come back, he could play with Pedersen. I'm just saying, you never know with Rutherford, unrestricted free agent, um, if they're really gung-ho about Marino. It it opened the door for possibilities, even if they're not likely. But if you're going to play, say you play Marino as the second line, right defenseman with Pedersen, right? Play Justin Schultz as your third pairing right defenseman and watch him thrive. Well, That's probably the, the thing. Who's his, you know? who's his partner? Because <sighs> in this scenario, with everyone... Rekula! Rekula! Just no, give him Rekula! <laughs> Just Rekula would be better for... I know, I know. I get, you, I get your argument. I understand it. But theoretically, Johnson as a third-pairing defenseman is still better than Johnson anywhere else in the lineup. But doesn't help Schultz be the best of Schultz. I get that. Yeah. So. Morons. Be interesting to see. But I feel bad for Hamilton. feel bad for the Hurricanes who have really worked hard to build up this roster and make a good go of it and it always sucks to lose like your best player which is frustrating so and yeah. they just them and the Islanders in Pittsburgh all get screwed by being in the same division somebody's gonna they need to change this playoff format yeah so I don't have too much more on that I just wanted to make a mention of it so <laughs> Well, do you want to talk about the really good one that's come back? Sid, good to have him back. Banking, uh, banking the puck off the back of nets and uh, <laughs> threading passes through the slot to the back door on his return. When he's healthy, he's fun. When he comes back, he's usually good for four points. Um, I think one of the things that I like about it is that Dominic Simone has rightfully been slid down the lineup since Sid left. Yes, uh, it made yep. perfect sense. But you're now going to have him back up the lineup, I think, because I don't think you're going to really move what Gino's got on the go at the moment. And so I think we'll get to see some more production out of Simone, which will be great because it should take some of the pressure off the third and the fourth lines to have to produce. So the load will be shifted to some of those players that you like. You have to actually put some numbers up, and I, I think Simone will. Well, here's the thing with how Mike Sullivan's uh, c- could have moved forward. Um, stick with two lines he knows have been playing great. That is the path he took. Or he could have split up some of it to kind of um, help. It, it, I guess predicated if you did not want to move Simone up. But they did. Didn't want to touch Cahoon, Malkin, Russ. Totally understandable. Doesn't want to touch Aston Reese, Tanev, and uh, McCann. No, no, not McCann. Jesus, I'm sorry. Bluger. Understandable. Because that line's underlying numbers defensively have been terrific. 
fourth line, whatever. Um, so, if, yeah, moving McCann up, he's had certainly uh, some success with Sid, but so is Simone. And, you know, they're going to make a trade for a winger at some point, and I think that winger, they have positioned it to be Sid's again. Yeah, uh, that makes perfect sense. But if Melkin's line is rolling, I get it. But at the same time, like, I don't know. Brian Brian Rust is having an amazing year. I, I just I worry that he's shooting 18%, and when is that going to regress back a little bit? Next year. Okay, well, that would be great. I just It, it feels like when players have these kinds of of shooting years because it's been a long time through this year now that he's Correct. been shooting it at 80%, right? So for me, it doesn't feel like it's a three-week peak, which is you know quite clearly going to be followed by a three-week trough, and then you get his average for the six weeks. I don't feel like that's the case. You see players like this throughout the league who you look at historically five years later and go, what the fuck happened that year? He shot 20%. One in five were going in. Like, what is going on? And then they nothing like that the rest of their career. He is a slightly higher shooter percentage than, than average. Yeah, not he's at 12, this. so that's yeah, that's that's a nice thing to have there. Yeah, so if he does regress, I would be very surprised if he dips below that, which means he would have to rely on getting volume to keep at his current goal scoring pace. Um, and playing with Juno, he could recover a drop in percentage with volume because Juno can just feed him the puck. But... I would I, I would bank on him shooting like this for the, at least the rest of the regular season. You know, the playoff change and, and, and things change. Players get tight, all that kind of stuff, and, and don't shoot as well. Um, rules change as well. Um, so, but I, I couldn't see him dropping off that at all, to be honest, this year. Mm-hmm. I'm hoping I'm not wrong, but that's the way I look at it. Their 10-game rolling average has their shooting percentage on a uh, slight downturn. And, you know, I, I, I'm i not, like, raising an alarm bell or anything because uh, they still obviously have really good players. Uh, but it's been going down for about a month. And, obviously, Sid being gone, he's back. That's going to help. He, he scored 27 seconds into the game last night. But... Again, McCann and Rust are shooting above their career percentages. Uh, we don't know really enough about Dominic Cahoon to, to know really what kind of shooter he is. Mm, it's true. He's, um, gosh, I can't remember off the top of my head. Oh, he's, he's at like 14%. I don't know what he is. It's no, to know. Is if... that normal for him or is it not? Exactly. Yeah. Uh, it'd be cool if it was. Uh, but having uh, Simone on the top line, it's fine for all the passing and little plays he does, but he's a 7% career shooter. He's not going to score many goals. So while the Penguins are still, like last night against the Bruins, they split the high danger chances. Their high danger chances have been climbing for a month while their shooting percentage has gone down. And I think that just has to do with they, they lost a lot of finishing talent. Jake Gensel is amazing. He's one of the best shooters in the league, not from, like, um, when you think about, like, Ovechkin and uh, Stamkos or even Kovalchuk, not not that kind of shooter. His percentages over his sample in his career are excellent. He he was shooting, his career is 16.2%. Jeez, that's high. <laughs> and, 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 you know, people are... It's in 243 games, so... That's him. He was shooting 15.7% this year and had 20 goals in 39 games. He's a a great finisher. So they lost that. They lost Sid. Um, Sid is back. Um, So I just... Even though the Penguins' depth and everything is... They played really well this year. Their underlying numbers are really good. Um, I do think there is potential for some shooting percentage regression in a bad way. Not not going to tank the team. It's just when you go up against like a team like the Bruins, you you might have a bad night. Yeah, when they're, and as when they're as playing you, these better teams. And as long as you don't have four bad nights in seven games, you might be okay. 
But it's also why I do think that there is going to be a winger um, somewhere that's going to join them. So yeah, you can't you can't you can't rely on the bottom six to give you that weird surprising goal that you're not expecting. Uh, and uh, I don't know. You kind of can a little bit, but it's not going to be like a... Not every okay, game you can't. We lost Gensel, and, and we got some other guys out. You're right. You can't lean into it, but yeah, they do have the, the skeleton of a, a really well-balanced team. Absolutely. But weird. you do, like you said, you need weird, that Weird when six. you uh, you know, find guys that can skate. <laughs> like it's, it's so goddamn frustrating the thing the thing that i find hilarious is and this is the thing that's i find amusing in the next four weeks they actually have a guy on the roster who could fill that role if he actually played to his potential and it's not gonna happen right galchenyuk is that oh, kind of guy cooked. yeah yeah that's, that's what i mean like he is absolutely cooked like that spider bite did the reverse spider man on <laughs> Yeah, he's he sucked this year, and yeah. he knows he's being traded. So, yeah, he looks like a guy out there that is not enjoying hockey life at all. I don't question his effort or anything. It's just nope. it's not working. And yep, it'd be amazing if the Penguins could lump him into a Tyler Toffoli trade of some sort. I don't know why the Kings would want a pending unrestricted free agent like Elchenyuk. So the Penguins would probably have to spice that up a little bit, but maybe they flip. Ah, that's pie in the sky thought. Yeah, no, <laughs> it's no logistical sense. After it he comes has, out of my mouth, how dumb it sounds. Galchenyuk has no value for any team that might make the playoffs. <laughs> so you can't that aren't making the playoffs. No, but he, he, the one thing he has for those teams is that he's cap friendly after this year because he's zero like he's an unrestricted free agent so they get cap space by by trading away a player that's you know two or three year deal well, that's, that's the only way i can think like this year yeah zero. correct but that's you, you're not trading him for whatever you're going to get out of him for this year you're trading him because you're getting out of a contract that's two or three years longer than you want and you're going to be able to get that cap space back and maybe a couple of draft assets from Pittsburgh because it's kind of all they've got to trade and they're running starting to run out of those yeah which but is fine he, he's gonna do something Rutherford is going to do something I do think Toffoli's kind of on that radar uh, you see rumors of Jason Zucker who they literally already went after yeah so he'd be an interesting one although I, I don't even know what a, a trade like that looks like this, this feels like a really difficult year to work out what can and can't be traded. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, you can get Bukestad back and spit him off. Like, I've literally forgotten that he exists. You know, you get him healthy. People like his skill sets and his size. He could go. So. You said Bukestad? Yeah. Yeah, I think he's a candidate to move for sure. So, you know, Galchenyuk might stay on the roster. No, I mean, Galchenyuk could stay on the roster. And somebody else goes. No, he's going. He's going. All of this does put, like, someone like Patrick Hornquist in a really weird spot. Because they're not breaking up the Bluger line. They're not breaking up Malkin's line. Sid's going to take McCann and Simone. That leaves Hornquist with Galchenyuk and whoever this... Agazino dude is. You know, one thing I will say since he's come back from his injury, he's actually roofing pucks at five on five. Yeah. Yep. Oh, uh, he, he was before. He actually started the year pretty strong. I'm watching and I'm going, what the fuck happened here? Where did this come from? But if you're telling me it was happening before the start of the year, then before the injury, I mean, earlier in the year, because I'm like, where's this whole quiz being five on five? I'm happy for it, but I'm not expecting it to stay around. Well, th- this probably a little bit valid. I'm looking at 
his year this year. 11 goals in 30 games, pretty good. Nine of them at even strength, even better, is, in my opinion. Yes. He is shooting 12.9%, which doesn't sound like, you know, absurd. Uh, it's a career high. Yeah. Hey, I'm all, I'm all for it. Like, I was expecting his power play time to reduce because I think they should have Gensel on there and not him. Well, it, it was. Yeah. But that's not a problem now. So Nope, he's going to plan his ass in front, which led to a goal the other night. Um, who the hell were they playing? Minnesota? It ended up being Malkin's goal, but, you know, Hornquist was in the area. The defender was right on him, and the defender um, poked it past his own goalie. So he is he's back to creating havoc on the power play. No issues for me. Gensel not being healthy... I, I I have no complaints. It, it's no. sometimes my complaint is when Gensel is healthy, um, but they probably have room for both now that Kessel's gone. Yeah, you know what? I, they need somebody to fill the opposite side to sit on that power play, and I don't well, know whether there, there was has a guy passing to do it. There was a guy, and I don't I don't blame the Penguins for not doing it because there were, were a lot of red flags with the possession and defensive ability. But I do think um, the guy I am thinking of, he would have come cheap. I already referenced him earlier in the in the podcast today for his uh, ridiculous shooting ability, and from where I'm looking right now, he has. Four points in his last four games. Ilya Kovalchuk. They would have got him cheap too. Like... 700K. I get it. I get why they didn't yeah, do it. This isn't absolutely. me bitching. Hey, why the fuck didn't you get Ilya Kovalchuk? He does look pretty good so far with the Canadians. But if you you brought up left side of the power play, I mean, that who, who better? Yeah, I know. Well, the, see, the thing for me with Kessel out there was Kessel's a better passer than a than a shooter in regards to one-timers, right? Oh, Substantially he can't, can't one-time. Correct. That still didn't mean he didn't work. He was brilliant out there. He ran it. Only... Sid yeah, did not run it. Yeah. That power play went to the left side through Kessel. The and... best thing about him, though, is that he would look like he's going to pass it and he could snap that wrist shot brilliantly, or he could look like he's going to snap the shot and then gaps would open up and his passing ability was brilliant. So, I, you know... I don't think Kovalchuk... Well, Kovalchuk would have worked there, but it would have been very different. And different's fine, but Kovalchuk yes. is passed too, so let's not... I, yeah, I just don't think it's quite the same level as, as Kessel. I think Kessel's not a lead at passing, but that's a that's me being nitpicky, really. <laughs> um, but yeah, I guess that would be the one option. Uh, Zucker's left-handed. Toffoli could maybe uh, fill that role. I, I, I'm not even going to lie. I... Again, I don't watch the Kings, so I know Toffoli's a good player from watching their playoff runs because they were the only team on, but that's like four years ago, um, maybe even five years ago. I can't speak to his best skills. Uh, I do think his he's a good facilitator of the puck. Not really sure how good of a shot. Yeah. But he is right-handed, so there's that. Just, yeah, I don't know. So, some years leading into the deadline, you can kind of see who's available and, you know, who's in the realm of possibility with Pittsburgh trading and stuff like that. This year, I find it so much more difficult. Well, a lot of teams are also not willing to go crazy with the price to pay on rentals anymore. Yeah, and so why would you want to give somebody up for that? Like, for a non-crazy price? Uh, non-crazy carry price? Ha! <laughs> yeah, his contract sucks. Yep. That's going to be a tough one for many years, along with uh, old Bob. Yeah, that one's an interesting Because the other problem you've got is teams don't usually like to trade in, in conference. It used to just be in division, but now it feels like teams don't want to trade in conference. So you look out west, and I would suggest that with the way 55 points gets Edmonton into the wild card, 
that I would go as far as Nashville and Minnesota still being in the playoff hunt. Mm-hmm. And San Jose's at 46 compared to 55. So San Jose's dead. Well, I would have thought so too, but they're not as many games out as I thought. Mind you, though, they don't have a goaltender that can make a save, so they can't really go on a run, logically. And I, I think Minnesota are dead, and I would like to they see... They also have Bob Bugner as a coach. Yeah. Like, that's not... I know. Pittsburgh remembers. Um, oh, I want yeah. Minnesota... <laughs> He has a great, uh, sorry, he has a great three-on-two drill, uh, Boogie's Rapid Fire, that I took from the Roger Nielsen Coaches Clinic. So I've used that over the years at high school practice. So I, as I kind of criticize a little bit, I do want to thank him for that drill. That was, that was a good <laughs> one. Uh, got a lot of different things that happened leading into that three-on-two. So thank you, Boogie Man. Nice job, Boog. I want Minnesota to fire Boudreaux. <laughs> just so it like every podcast oh no just so he can go and, and coach colorado not that i think bednar's doing a bad job like i said earlier but if he was to get fired and i was colorado and, and they flame out if they flame out in the first round nashville would, would be, be interesting sorry nashville although they just hired heinz never mind yeah but that's that's what i would do if i was mini i would grab him those horses under him would be like washington Mm-hmm. And it'd be just so much fun to watch. Now, now your sharks thing—you're right with the math. They're they're nine, nine points. It's still, it's still five wins when you say it out loud. I think about it and go, "You're right. It is too far." But it's not just that. It's one, two, three, four, four teams to jump, assuming the other teams don't keep pace with you that are already in. I just don't I, trust I, that they're, specific they're division. Yeah, but I cooked. don't trust that Pacific Division at all. Yeah, you are right. I got a bit carried away, but I don't think it's out of the realms of possibility that Minnesota can turn it around. Dubnik is uh, peaky and trophy as Fleury, and if he gets on a run, they seem to be able to eke out wins in low-scoring games. Nashville need to work out what's going on under their new coach with Rene or Soros. So I don't know. I can't believe Chicago and Vancouver. Ah, uh, where they are. Vancouver, I can see a little bit. Weaker division. They don't have an awful roster. They got some really talented offensive players. Quinn Hughes really helps. Markstrom's fine. I get that one. As, yeah. Chicago, Robin Lehner's probably doing some work there. Hmm. But that roster's... Uh... Well, it helps when you can cheat again just <laughs> bench seabrook and pretend like he doesn't exist anymore pittsburgh can do that with johnson right <laughs> they'd have to want to <laughs> sorry i mean johnson hasn't been as bad as year one but you know when we say not as bad that's relative to the absolute worst player in the league yeah it's all a relative term Better does not mean good. And he still kills now. offense. And you you are a team that's built to motor and and do those things. I don't think he's a good um, good piece for that. But we're, that's you know we've covered that. Yep. So. And we probably will again because it's so frustrating to watch. Well, do you uh, do you got anything else? Um, all right, player safety. This is really really quick. Has everybody noticed that there is a decline in volumes of suspensions? And you sit there and think to yourself, "Great, players have changed their behaviour." But it seems as though there are a lot more fines flying out there this year for smaller incidents, and it doesn't feel as though players are getting suspended for long enough or even at all for incidences that were suspendable under Shanahan. And the easiest example is the Perot stuff. Um, I can't believe that, I can't remember who it was that hit him, but I can't believe that they didn't get suspended. And then you've got the the Oilers and 
the flames, garbage. It's almost like getting a player that's job was to go around and clock people in the head still wants people to clock people in the head. It's just funny how that works. Yeah, it's... Um, I'm not impressed at all with how they handle anything. So, you know, I've kind of... I'm super fatigued talking about the player safety because they suck and they're not going to change anytime soon. Well, it's the first time I've brought it up this year for that reason. Cause I no, I, I know, I know. I absolutely agree. Um, you know, we used to talk about it a ton, but yeah. you know, it, it gets to a point where like we we felt like we were having the same discussion because we were. <laughs> yeah, and at some point you just go, well, nobody wants to keep listening to the same thing over and over and over, and there are more fun things to discuss. But like, uh, Peros uh, apparently is going to be attending the next Kachuk cash-in game. Like, that's going to do shit on the ice. Like, fuck's sake. if you feel like you have to show up to, to make sure nothing bad happens, maybe just get the punishments right in the first place. They'll be super motivated not to, whether you're in California, Europe, at the game, China, Japan. You know what I mean? That's been the big... What you just said, Dan, has been the biggest thing I've seen, most repeated thing I've seen on Twitter has been, why don't you just dish out high enough game suspensions that it's a deterrent for people to do this garbage? If they'd suspended both of them for five games for all that bullshit, people would go, oh, that's too much. Cashin literally said he wouldn't change a thing. Yeah. Your whole job is to change behavior. Yeah. He's literally calling you out as being inept, and you're just like, well, I guess I'll attend the game. It is literally... Shit that Paros likes. Like you could see what Shanahan wanted the league to be like. With Man, the he did such that he... a good job coming out of the yep. gate, and the, every and it's not his fault. All the owners and everybody are like, well, not don't do your job that well. Yeah, and you know, I <laughs> instead of hey, employee, don't be a fucking idiot. Doug, they're going to end up with two lawsuits. They're going to have lawsuits from the guys from the seventies, eighties, and nineties. And then they're going to have lawsuits from the guys from the 2015s and beyond. When did Shanahan stop doing his job? Oh, a while ago now. Yeah, so from whenever he stopped and it changed, you're going to end up with a lawsuit there. Because it's quite clear that there's been a a distinct difference in regards to the way Paros is looking at it and what Shanahan was when... When did James Wisniewski start with the Blue Jackets? He got... Suspended in the preseason for a shitload of games. Oh, I can't remember. But yes. And I think that was his first year with the Blue Jackets. That makes yeah. sense. Yeah, I name-dropped Wisniewski and Blue Jackets. That's how long ago. Fucking hell. Shanahan was uh, doing this thing there. Well, um, it was the Shanahan, as it got known. So that's yeah. all I wanted to say. I just think there's been a bad decline in it, and I don't think it's good for the game. And I know that Western Canada loves that shit but i just don't think it's good there's actually a play in the uh, penguins bruins last night marino got a guy pretty bad on a boarding from behind i would i would have personally liked to have seen marino get a five minute major not not an ejection but i think that play that he made he hit him from behind dangerously and if he gets a major for that he's probably not engaging that way again and it usually simmers down the garbage after the hit. Yeah, because the team's like, well, they gave him a major. We got five minutes of power play time. Okay. Yeah, there's no need for us to have a two-minute balance it off freaking penalty, so you only get three minutes. You might as well toast the game with a five-minute major. Like, it, it feels as though the officials don't... They go, we're so careful to not want to decide the game that it's like, Call the fucking penalty. That's not you deciding the game. That's the player doing the stupid play that you need to call so that the other team wins. And I don't think I'm in the majority with giving him a major on that play, but that you know that's the kind of play you don't want to see. If you attach enough, he, Marino would be more careful. Do it to a rookie as well. Who's more likely to change their behavior? 
Well, I I get what you're saying. I I totally hate that idea yep. of well, he's not established, so fuck him. No, no, what I mean is, <laughs> and then like do it to him Ovechkin does it, it's like, oh, well, he plays hard. Well, no, no, if you do it to him before he's established. He no, doesn't I know. do it again. That's more what I meant. Not the whole NBA thing where it's you're a rookie, you get no fucking calls, but you're a ten year vet, you get every call. I'm not after that. That's not what. Or I'm you're after. LeBron and you could just travel. That was one of the funniest replays. I don't know if it's from a few weeks back where he just literally takes the ball and he's got the ball where his palm is underneath the ball and he takes like three steps at midcourt. Nobody's on him. It didn't affect anything, but it's clearly a travel and one of the defenders has his arms up and they're like, what the fuck? <laughs> you've, got to call, you've got to call that shit. <laughs> but it's LeBron, so it was like, uh, I don't know. Are we allowed to do that? Um... Uh, Russell Westbrook. Somebody out that. here listening must know what I'm talking about. Russell Westbrook did it. I saw this as well. He the thing is though, he walked from the foul line to the the midcourt circle, so the big midcourt circle, and the refs eventually called him for it. He just walked with the ball on his hip, like caught like with his other hand up, you know, calling a play, and they blew the whistle on him eventually. And oh, like, that's kind of what LeBron did, but like not quite he, that far. It didn't quite extend, and it wasn't close to the basket or anything. It was at midcourt, yeah. but it was hilarious. Every, it was and, clear as day. And you, you sit there with it, and you think to yourself, because he was like, what's well, wrong? was like, you've got to bounce the ball, dude. And then he just laughed, so he literally just forgot what he was doing. <laughs> but you've got to call it. <laughs> uh, good stuff. Well, Penguins are... Playing tonight against the worst team in hockey, Detroit, and then they get the Bruins again on Sunday. So um, it will be interesting to see them bounce back and see if they can uh, uh, generate a little bit more uh, tangible goals than they did the other night because they well, didn't play terrible per se, but they didn't really get a lot going so either. The question is, do they go Murray then Jerry? That is back what to back. Doing. Either they are going to go Jerry on the other game. Cool. Oh, I don't know about Sunday, but I mean, yeah, he's their starter right now. Yeah. Murray's playing tonight, so. Well, you just pray for Murray's sake that he's, you know, 9, 10 and above and he feels a bit better about his game. Yeah, I, he's having a horrible year. I don't think yeah. he's cooked for his career, but I don't know if he um, finds it to the extent of uh, Jari losing it and then switching back, so we'll see. Yeah, I agree. So... All right. I think that's it. Thank you very much, everybody, for listening. And uh, we'll see you next time. Thanks. Bye.